Bankruptcy In the United States, bankruptcy is largely governed by federal law, commonly referred to as the Bankruptcy Code, Code. The United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4, authorizes Congress to enact uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States. Congress has exercised this authority several times since 1801, including through adoption of the Bankruptcy Reform Act of 1978, as amended, codified in Title 11 of the United States Code and the Bankruptcy Abuse Prevention and Consumer Protection Act of 2005. Some laws relevant to bankruptcy are found in other parts of the United States Code. For example, bankruptcy crimes are found in Title 18 of the United States Code, Crimes. Tax implications of bankruptcy are found in Title 26 of the United States Code, Internal Revenue Code, and the creation and jurisdiction of bankruptcy courts are found in Title 28 of the United States Code, Judiciary and Judicial Procedure. Bankruptcy cases are filed in United States Bankruptcy Court, units of the United States District Courts, and federal law governs procedure in bankruptcy cases. However, state laws are often applied to determine how bankruptcy affects the property rights of debtors. For example, laws governing the validity of liens or rules protecting certain property from creditors, known as exemptions, may derive from state law or federal law. Because state law plays a major role in many bankruptcy cases, it is often unwise to generalize some bankruptcy issues across state lines. History Originally, bankruptcy in the United States, as nearly all matters directly concerning individual citizens, was a subject of state law. However, there were several short-lived federal bankruptcy laws before the Act of 1898, the Bankruptcy Act of 1800, which was repealed in 1803, the Act of 1841, which was repealed in 1843, and the Act of 1867, which was amended in 1874 and repealed in 1878. The first more lasting federal bankruptcy law, sometimes called the Nelson Act, initially entered into force in 1898. The current Bankruptcy Code was enacted in 1978 by Section 101 of the Bankruptcy Reform Act of 1978, and generally became effective on October 1, 1979. It completely replaced the former bankruptcy law, the Chandler Act of 1938, which had given unprecedented power to the Securities and Exchange Commission for the regulation of bankruptcy filings. The current code has been amended numerous times since 1978. See also the Bankruptcy Abuse Prevention and Consumer Protection Act of 2005. Chapters of the Bankruptcy Code Entities seeking relief under the Bankruptcy Code may file a petition for relief under a number of different chapters of the Code, depending on circumstances. Title 11 contains nine chapters, six of which provide for the filing of a petition. The other three chapters provide rules governing bankruptcy cases in general. A case is typically referred to by the chapter under which the petition is filed. These chapters are described below. Chapter 7, Liquidation Liquidation under a Chapter 7 filing is the most common form of bankruptcy. Liquidation involves the appointment of a trustee who collects the non-exempt property of the debtor, sells it and distributes the proceeds to the creditors. Because all states allow for debtors to keep essential property, Chapter 7 cases are often no-asset cases, meaning that the bankrupt estate has no non-exempt assets to fund a distribution to creditors. Chapter 7 Bankruptcy remains on a bankruptcy filer's credit report for 10 years. United States bankruptcy law significantly changed in 2005 with the passage of Bankruptcy Abuse Prevention and Consumer Protection Act, U.S.-BAPFA, 
which made it more difficult for consumer debtors to file bankruptcy in general and Chapter 7 in particular. Advocates of BAPPA claim that its passage would reduce losses to creditors such as credit card companies, and that those creditors would then pass on the savings to other borrowers in the form of lower interest rates. Critics assert that these claims turned out to be false, observing that although credit card company losses decreased after passage of the act, prices charged to customers increased, and credit card company profits increased. Chapter 9, Reorganization for Municipalities A Chapter 9 bankruptcy is available only to municipalities. Chapter 9 is a form of reorganization, not liquidation. Notable examples of municipal bankruptcies include that of Orange County, California, 1994-1996, and the bankruptcy of the City of Detroit, Michigan in 2013. Chapters 11, 12, and 13, Reorganization Bankruptcy under Chapter 11, Chapter 12, or Chapter 13 is a more complex reorganization and involves allowing the debtor to keep some or all of his or her property and to use future earnings to pay off creditors. Consumers usually file Chapter 7 or Chapter 13. Chapter 11 filings by individuals are allowed, but are rare. Chapter 12 is similar to Chapter 13 but is available only to family farmers and family fishermen in certain situations. Chapter 12 generally has more generous terms for debtors than a comparable Chapter 13 case would have available. As recently as mid-2004 Chapter 12 was scheduled to expire, but in late 2004 it was renewed and made permanent. Chapter 15, Cross-Border Insolvency The Bankruptcy Abuse Prevention and Consumer Protection Act of 2005 added Chapter 15, as a replacement for Section 304 and deals with cross-border insolvency, foreign companies with U.S. debts. Features of U.S. Bankruptcy Law Voluntary versus Involuntary Bankruptcy As a threshold matter, bankruptcy cases are either voluntary or involuntary. Involuntary bankruptcy cases, which account for the overwhelming majority of cases, debtors petition the bankruptcy court. With involuntary bankruptcy, creditors, rather than the debtor, file the petition in bankruptcy. Involuntary petitions are rare, however, and are occasionally used in business settings to force a company into bankruptcy so that creditors can enforce their rights. The estate. Except in Chapter 9 cases, commencement of a bankruptcy case creates an estate. Generally, the debtor's creditors must look to the assets of the estate for satisfaction of their claims. The estate consists of all property interests of the debtor at the time of case commencement, subject to certain exclusions and exemptions. In the case of a married person in a community property state, the estate may include certain community property interests of the debtor's spouse even if the spouse has not filed bankruptcy. The estate may also include other items, including but not limited to property acquired by will or inheritance within 180 days after case commencement. For federal income tax purposes, the bankruptcy estate of an individual in a Chapter 7 or 11 case is a separate taxable entity from the debtor. The bankruptcy estate of a corporation, partnership, or other collective entity, or the estate of an individual in Chapters 12 or 13, is not a separate taxable entity from the debtor. Bankruptcy Court In 1982, in the case of Northern Pipeline Company v. Marathon Pipeline Company, the United States Supreme Court held that certain provisions of the law relating to Article I bankruptcy judges, who are not life-tenured Article III judges, are unconstitutional. Congress responded in 1984 with changes to remedy the constitutional defects. Under the revised law, bankruptcy judges in each judicial district constitute a unit of the applicable United States District Court. 
Each judge is appointed for a term of 14 years by the United States Court of Appeals for the circuit in which the applicable district is located. The United States District Courts have subject matter jurisdiction over bankruptcy matters. However, each such district court may, by order, refer bankruptcy matters to the bankruptcy court, and most district courts have a standing reference order to that effect, so that all bankruptcy cases are handled by the bankruptcy court. In unusual circumstances, a district court may withdraw the reference, for example, taking a particular case or proceeding within the case away from the bankruptcy court, and decide the matter itself. Decisions of the bankruptcy court are generally appealable to the district court, and then to the Court of Appeals. However, in a few jurisdictions a separate court called a bankruptcy appellate panel, composed of bankruptcy judges, hears certain appeals from bankruptcy courts. United States Trustee The United States Attorney General appoints a separate United States trustee for each of 21 geographical regions for a five-year term. Each trustee is removable from office by and works under the general supervision of the Attorney General. The U.S. trustees maintain regional offices that correspond with federal judicial districts and are administratively overseen by the Executive Office for United States Trustees in Washington, D.C. Each United States trustee, an officer of the U.S. Department of Justice, is responsible for maintaining and supervising a panel of private trustees for Chapter 7 bankruptcy cases. The trustee has other duties including the administration of most bankruptcy cases and trustees. Under Section 307 of Title 11 of the U.S. Code, a U.S. trustee may raise and may appear and be heard on any issue in any case or proceeding in bankruptcy except for filing a plan of reorganization in the Chapter 11 case. The Automatic Stay Bankruptcy Code Section 362 imposes the automatic stay at the moment a bankruptcy petition is filed. The automatic stay generally prohibits the commencement, enforcement or appeal of actions and judgments, judicial or administrative, against a debtor for the collection of a claim that arose prior to the filing of the bankruptcy petition. The automatic stay also prohibits collection actions and proceedings directed toward property of the bankruptcy estate itself. In some courts, violations of the stay are treated as void ab initio as a matter of law, although the court may annul the stay to give effect to otherwise void acts. Other courts treat violations as voidable, not necessarily void ab initio. Any violation of the stay may give rise to damages being assessed against the violating party. Non-willful violations of the stay are often excused without penalty, but willful violators are liable for punitive damages and may also be found to be in contempt of court. A secured creditor may be allowed to take the applicable collateral if the creditor first obtains permission from the court. Permission is requested by a creditor by filing a motion for relief from the automatic stay. The court must either grant the motion or provide adequate protection to the secured creditor that the value of their collateral will not decrease during the stay. Without the bankruptcy protection of the automatic stay, creditors might race to the courthouse to improve their positions against a debtor. If the debtor's business were facing a temporary crunch, but were nevertheless viable in the long term, it might not survive a run by creditors. A run could also result in waste and unfairness among similarly situated creditors. Bankruptcy Code 362D gives four ways that a creditor can get the automatic stay removed. 